All right. Well, the Lord does want us to know his purpose in writing this very interesting chapter. I wonder if you've ever heard any lesson on Ezekiel 17 before. We were immersed in the history of Israel in chapter 16. And now we're going to see this prophetic riddle that was given to the exiles. The first question in your workbook is what will you gain from studying even the most obscure passage of the Bible? And you can see this verse up here, Romans 15, 4, whatever was written before was written for our instruction so that our, through our endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we may have hope. So the riddle of Ezekiel 17 was written for our instruction. We need to know what it says and what it means. And it was written to encourage us. You'll want to see that that's going to come at the end, I think. It was written to give us hope. And you will see that hope as we get to the end of it. So as obscure as this chapter is, I hope that it will become a very special chapter to you. Now look at the top of page 115. It's probable that the exiled elders of Israel were unmoved by the Lord's analogy of his nation as a wild, unfruitful vine and unresponsive to his story of Israel as his adulterous wife. Perhaps the word of the Lord that we will study today was an attempt to stimulate the dull hearts and minds of the Israelites with a brain teaser. I think at first we'll find it quite puzzling and then intriguing as we discover the explanation of it. So I'm going to read the riddle now. In Ezekiel 17, 1 through 10, there are three characters to examine. So pay attention to the great eagle and the vine and the second eagle. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, pose a riddle, speak a parable to the house of Israel, and say, Thus says the Lord God, a great eagle with large wings and long pinions, full of feathers and various colors, came to Lebanon and took from the cedar the highest branch. He cropped off its topmost young twig and carried it to a land of trade. He set it in a city of merchants. Then he took some of the seed of the land and he planted it in a fertile field. He placed it by abundant waters and set it like a willow tree. And it grew and became a spreading vine of low stature. Its branches turned toward him, but its roots were under it. So it became a vine, brought forth branches and put forth shoots. But there was another great eagle with large wings and many feathers. And behold, this vine bent its roots towards him and stretched its branches toward him from the garden terrace where it had been planted that he might water it. And it was planted in good soil by many waters to bring forth branches, bear fruit and become a majestic vine. Say, thus says the Lord God, will it thrive? Will he not pull up its roots, cut off its fruit, and leave it to wither? All of its spring leaves will wither, and no great power or many people will be needed to pluck it up by its roots. Behold, it is planted. Will it thrive? Will it not utterly wither when the east wind touches it? It will wither in the garden terrace where it grew. 
So what are the descriptions of these three characters? First, we have the great eagle in verse 3. It had large wings, long pinions. It was full of feathers of various colors. It came to Lebanon and took the top young twig from the highest branch of the cedar tree. That's all we're going to do. We're just noting what the verses said about this character. We're going to come back and find out who this is about in a minute. The vine in verse 5 was from the seed of the land. It was planted in a fertile field. It became a vine of low stature. Branches turned toward the first eagle. It had roots, branches, and shoots. But then the vine turned its roots to the second eagle to be watered by it. And then there was another great eagle in verse 7. It had large wings, many feathers, and the vine turned towards it. So that second eagle is not described as much as that first eagle is. It's much grander, greater. The characters are the two eagles and the vine. And the actual question posed by the Lord in the riddle is, Will the vine thrive? Will it thrive? So you have a question. What message seems to be being communicated in this question from the Lord? Even though the vine was planted by many waters and planted in good soil, the vine would be pulled up. The branches would be cut. The fruit would be cut off. And the... um, The leaves would wither. It would not thrive. So that's the answer to that. It's not going to thrive. And the key to solving the riddle is uh, just to read a little further. Obviously, the Lord did not intend for Ezekiel's audience to have any doubt regarding the explanation of this riddle, this parable. And if you were to take the first set of verses and put them side by side with the explanation, you are going to see almost a verse by verse explanation. It is, it's very clear. By the time we get all the way through it, it will be very clear. So let me read this second passage here in Ezekiel 17, 11 through 21. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, say now to the rebellious house, do you not know what these things mean? Tell them, indeed, the king of Babylon went to Jerusalem and took its king and princes and led them with him to Babylon. And he took the king's offspring and made a covenant with him and put him under oath. He also took away the mighty of the land that the kingdom might be brought low and not lift itself up, but that by keeping his covenant, it might stand. But he rebelled against him by sending his ambassadors to Egypt that they might give him horses and many people. Will he prosper? Will he who does such things escape? Can he break a covenant and still be delivered? As I live, says the Lord God, surely in the place where the king dwells, who made him king, whose oath he despised and whose covenant he broke, with him in the midst of Babylon he shall die. Nor will Pharaoh with his mighty army and great company do anything in the war when they heap up a siege mound and build a wall to cut off many persons. Since he despised the oath by breaking the covenant and in fact gave his hand and did all these things, he shall not escape. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely my oath, which he despised and my covenant, which he broke, I will recompense on his own head. 
I will spread my net over him, and he shall be taken in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon and try him there for the treason which he committed against me. All his fugitives with all his troops shall fall by the sword, and those who remain shall be scattered to every wind. And you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken. So the riddle is unraveled by matching the symbolic elements to the real life characters. We have looked in the past at 2 Kings 24, 8 through 17, and probably looked at 2 Chronicles 36 as well. I will give you Jeremiah 37 in a minute. But here is the unraveling of this riddle. The great eagle is the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Eagles were used as a symbol of royalty. This great eagle with many feathers and multicolored feathers is showing that he had conquered many different nations and peoples. The next thing in the riddle is Lebanon. He went to Lebanon. This is Jerusalem. And just pointing this out, this is a very good example of where you should not take a Bible verse out of context and think, aha, <laughs> he went to Lebanon and that means Lebanon like we know, you know, geographically today. This is a riddle. That is the genre. And you need to read the Bible according to the type of literature that it is. And there's a riddle and there's an explanation. So it, it says very clearly in Ezekiel 17, 12, the king of Babylon went to Jerusalem. Also in Jerusalem, Solomon had cedars from Lebanon shipped down for many of his building projects. He built a place that was known as the House of the Forest of Lebanon, and that might have been attached to his palace. The um, cedars were also all in the temple. It was paneled with cedar. There were carvings in cedar. So I have these verses here. First Kings 7, 2 and 3. He also built the House of the Forest of Lebanon, there's all its dimensions. It had rows of cedar pillars and cedar beams on the pillars. It was paneled with cedar all over. First Kings 6.18. The inside of the temple was cedar carved with ornamental buds and open flowers. All was cedar. There was no stone to be seen. That's the temple, the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And then First Kings 10.27 says the king... This is Solomon made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. And he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores, which are in the lowland. So he had cedars shipped down as building materials from Lebanon. And then he planted them all over Jerusalem. So it is being called Lebanon in this riddle. Next, we have the topmost young twig. This is Jehoiachin. The 18-year-old king who was on the throne and Nebuchadnezzar came over in his first. Um, there were the three times where Nebuchadnezzar took people. And right now I can't remember if it was the first time that he took someone or the second time. But he took Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoiachin to Babylon, imprisoned him, kept him there. Eventually under another king, Jehoiachin is going to be let out of that imprisonment and he will be seated and treated as a king of Israel still in Babylon. The land of trade is Babylon. The seed is a member of the royal family the, of the Davidic royal line and this is Mathaniah 
who was renamed Zedekiah by Nebuchadnezzar. He was put in place as a puppet king. And the fertile field is Israel. Nebuchadnezzar made a covenant, an agreement with Zedekiah. And if Zedekiah kept the terms of that agreement, then he would remain as king in Israel if he stayed loyal to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar also made a fertile field for this seed to grow by removing the powerful leaders from the land. And he did that in the first and second deportations. And he therefore kept the people of Jerusalem and Israel humble and lowly and dependent on him, Nebuchadnezzar, on Babylon. And his goal was to keep them from being antagonistic toward him as well. And then we have another great eagle. This is Pharaoh Hophra of Egypt. And he's part of this riddle because Zedekiah sought an alliance with him and tried to overthrow Nebuchadnezzar. That was the turning of the roots towards Egypt, towards this Pharaoh. Jeremiah 37, 5 through 11, tells us a little bit about this Pharaoh-Egypt alliance. The Pharaoh's army came up from Egypt, and when the Chaldeans who were besieging Jerusalem, and y'all know Chaldeans are Babylonians, right? They, the, the Chaldeans who were besieging Jerusalem heard news of them. They departed from Jerusalem. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Jeremiah saying, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, thus you, shall, thus you shall say to the king of Judah, who you sent to me to inquire of me, behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come up to help you will return to Egypt, to their own land. And the Chaldeans will come back and fight against this city and take it and burn it with fire. Thus says the Lord, do not deceive yourselves, saying, the Chaldeans will surely depart from us, for they will not depart. For though you had defeated the whole army of the Chaldeans who fight against you, and there remained only wounded men among them, they would rise up, every man in his tent, and burn the city with fire. And the army of the Chaldeans left the siege of Jerusalem for fear of Pharaoh's army. So... Pharaoh's army came against Jerusalem. The Babylonians did leave temporarily, but the Lord's like, don't be deceived. They're not going away. They're coming back. And you know, they did. A study note from the uh, Net Bible says that the Pharaoh Hophra ruled from 589 to 570. And shortly after he began to rule, Zedekiah had been enticed by some of the officials in his court to appeal to him for aid. So here's Israel turning to Egypt once again. They've got Egypt on the room. Maybe Egypt can help us. This act of rebellion quickly brought Nebuchadnezzar's wrath, and he invaded Judah, blockading Jerusalem and reducing the fortified cities of Judah one by one. Well, there's one more character in the riddle but we've already been talking about him. The vine is King Zedekiah. The vine, King Zedekiah, the seed that grew into the vine was planted in Israel by Nebuchadnezzar. And as I've already said, the branches that were spreading to the second eagle represent Zedekiah turning to Egypt for military support to overthrow Nebuchadnezzar. What is the point of this? (laughs) This riddle and its interpretation. What did the Lord want to communicate to the Israelites? Well, covenant 
was a key word in Ezekiel 16. It's also a very important factor here in Ezekiel 17. When Ezekiel spoke this riddle, the topmost young twig, Jehoiachin, was already in captivity in Babylon. Zedekiah had already been planted as this low-growing vine. And the point of the riddle is, if Zedekiah kept his covenant with Nebuchadnezzar, he would thrive. But since he turned to Pharaoh, since he broke the covenant with Nebuchadnezzar, he would be punished. The big picture point is on the, on the screen here. Someone who breaks the covenant will reap the consequences. God has been getting this message across to the people of Israel, to his nation, who he had made a covenant with. They had said, we'll do what you say. They broke their end of the covenant and they are reaping the consequences of that. The bad news was in Ezekiel 17, 16, as I live, says the Lord God, surely in the place where the king dwells, who made him king. Surely in the place where Nebuchadnezzar lives, the one who made Zedekiah king, whose oath Zedekiah despised, whose covenant he broke, with him, with Nebuchadnezzar, in the midst of Babylon, Zedekiah would die. This is the death toll for Zedekiah. This is very bad news. Now look in the middle of page 116 in the italics. This is what I've written here. Read along. I must admit that even though the riddle is intriguing and I do enjoy puzzles, I feel like the message the Lord has conveyed in this chapter is old news. But wait, we haven't read or studied the complete word of the Lord in this chapter. There is big news in the next few verses. So hang in there and persevere with me through a little more symbolism. And now we're going to get to some good news. And now we're going to get to some Christmas. So let's look at Ezekiel 17, 22 through 24. I have already underlined what the Lord says he will do or put it in red here. Thus says the Lord God, I will take also one of the highest branches of the high cedar and set it out. I will crop off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one and will plant it on a high and prominent mountain. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it, and it will bring forth boughs and bear fruit and be a majestic cedar. Under it will dwell birds of every sort. In the shadow of its branches, they will dwell. And all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, have brought down the high tree and exalted the low tree, dried up the green tree and made the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it. So you see here, what the Lord says he will do. He says, I will take also. So we saw Nebuchadnezzar go and take a twig uh, and replant it and then take a seed and plant it. But the Lord is saying, I am going to take something. I'm going to set it out. I'm going to crop off this. I'm going to plant it. I will plant it. Well, if the Lord does something, it's going to be good. <laughs> and what does he say he's going to plant? I've highlighted it here. From the topmost of its young twigs, a tender one. And then what is it going to become? It will bring forth boughs and bear fruit and be a majestic cedar. Under it will dwell birds of every sort. In the shadow of its branches, they will dwell. 
So that's what this riddle says it's going to become. As we look at this, you want to keep in mind that this is also in the language of a riddle. So in the first riddle, King, jo King Jehoiachin was the highest shoot or branch in King David's family tree. And he was planted in Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. King Zedekiah was the seed planted in the fertile field. He was the last king in Israel, King Zedekiah. And he saw his sons killed before his eyes. He would have no Davidic line following after him. When King Zedekiah died in Babylon, it seemed that the Davidic line had come to an end. Jehoiachin is in prison. What's happening with him? But the Lord here is showing that it's not the case. The Davidic dynasty does not come to an end because God has a plan. The last words of the Lord in Ezekiel 17 were his words of hope for a future king from David's family as he had promised. And you know that king is none other than Jesus. So here, Jesus is the tender one. If you did not know that was another name and label for Jesus. Here it is. He's the young shoot or twig or branch. And maybe you've heard that before. He is referred to as a branch in other verses and his reign is described when he's named that way. Isaiah 11.1, 1, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of its, his roots. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now, this is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. And in Zechariah, he's described. Speak to, well, this is I'm just going to jump into the middle. <laughs> Behold, the man whose name is the branch from his place, he shall branch out and he shall build the temple of the Lord. When Jesus returns as king, the beginning of the millennial temple kingdom, millennial kingdom, he's going to oversee the building of the temple of the Lord. Here's the verse that tells us that. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. So we see this tender one, this twig, this branch is going to be from David's family tree and he will reign as king. And these verses are telling us he will have a reign of righteousness and justice and peace. Israel will dwell safely. The temple will be there. There will be right worship of God under his reign. The council of peace shall be between the king and priest because that's who Jesus is, king and high priest. Jesus traces the roots of his family tree all the way back to Jesse, and even all the way back to Adam. But here we're looking at the Davidic line. So in this passage of Ezekiel, chapter 17, we see a messianic prophecy where the future king of Israel is referred to as the tender one. He was born in obscurity, just a little twig. 
He was born in obscurity in the little town of Bethlehem. He was born to humble, poor parents in a smelly stable. And he grew up in Nazareth that had a bad reputation. Isaiah 52, 53, 2 and 3 describes in this way. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we did not esteem him. He was not esteemed during his life, but one day all the world will know him and bow before him as king. Ezekiel 17.23 tells us about his reign during the millennial kingdom. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it. And it will bring forth boughs and bear fruit and be a majestic cedar. And all under it will dwell birds of every sort. In the shadow of its branches, they will dwell. Jesus will reign planted on Mount Zion. He will reign like a tree that towers over the whole forest. He is the majestic cedar. He will have branches that bear fruit. Now, that's riddle language, too, because cedar trees don't normally bear fruit. They don't ever bear fruit. (laughs) But this shows the provision that those who come to Jesus will receive. He cares for them. And this riddle also tells us that birds of every sort will dwell in his branches. And this shows us the diversity and unity that Jesus offers. Every tribe and tongue will, someone from every tribe and tongue will know him and they will come to him and be at home with Jesus and be at peace with each other. If you watch birds, birds don't all get along. So seeing all these birds living at peace together in this tree is an unusual thing as well. Jesus Christ will return to the earth and reign as king of Israel one day in the future. But he's already on the throne and he's already king of kings. You know that. Ephesians 1, 20 through 23 tells us that God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come. And Hebrews 12, 2 tells us to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In both of those verses, we see Jesus seated at the right hand of the throne of God, seated because the work is finished and he is seated next to the Lord, and he is reigning with the Lord over all that's going on right now. So Jesus, the tender one, is our king. When I first taught through Ezekiel and learned that Jesus was the tender one, I found this little ornament, and it represented the branch or the twig, and it hangs on my Christmas tree as a symbol of Jesus, the tender one. And a few years ago, I came across a very old Christmas song that I'd never heard before. It was in one of my music books. And 
when I actually stopped and read the words, because I had skipped it many, many times, it seemed to me to echo the truths that are said in Ezekiel 17, that Jesus is the tender one. This song is about a Christmas tree gathering around the Christmas tree. And I know that the Christmas tree had pagan origins and was brought into Christian Christmas celebrations. We've seen that idolatry by Israel occurred under every green tree. So there's some bad uses of green trees. But God made the trees. (laughs) So I know they belong to him first. And there is a lot of great symbolism. We can go back to Ezekiel 17 and uh, find a legitimate reason to see the tree used as a symbol of our king. And I think using a tree to help us celebrate and remember our Savior just takes back what rightly belongs to God. So, you know now from Ezekiel 17 that the tender one will become a majestic cedar, our king. And I'm going to read through the words to this song. And uh, I can't sing it for you. (laughs) Gather around the Christmas tree. Gather around the Christmas tree. Evergreen have its branches been. It is king of all the woodland scene. For Christ our king is born today. His reign shall never pass away. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Gather around the Christmas tree. Gather around the Christmas tree. Once the pride of the mountainside, now cut down to grace our Christmas tide. For Christ from heaven to earth came down to gain through death a nobler crown. Gather around the Christmas tree. Gather around the Christmas tree. Every bough has a burden now. They are gifts of love for us we trow. For Christ is born his love to show. Oh, I didn't change it. Sorry. And give good gifts to men below. I have one more stanza. Gather around the Christmas tree. Gather around the Christmas tree. Tapers bright in the branches light. Till till our eyes all shine at the goodly sight. For Christ our light is born today. His glory never shall fade away. His glory never shall fade away. And you see the last thing on your, um, in your workbook. It says, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Yes, Jesus Christ is king. He's on the throne in heaven and will be on the throne on earth one day. But is he on the throne in your own life or are you on the throne? Is there evidence in your life that you're submitting to his reign? So as we go out into the Christmas season, which is all about Jesus, we know that is the truth of this holiday season. Let there be evidence that you know and worship Jesus as your king. Now I'm going to check and see because I have asked somebody to see if she might... um, Okay. <laughs> okay. I, my sister-in-law is on Zoom and she sings. And I thought maybe she might sing the song if she could 
uh, hear it. But y'all just have to look it up, and there are lots of versions. Old kid, there's old versions singing sing it to organ um, choirs, and there's some kid versions. So if you want to hear it, there needs to be a modern good version of this song. <laughs> Let me close in prayer. Lord God, our Father in heaven, we praise you. We thank you for your love for us and how you gave your son and you have redeemed us and you've made us your own. We do belong to you. We thank you for the promise that you gave through Ezekiel to put Jesus on the throne. We thank you that we know through your word recorded of his birth and his life, his death. And Jesus, we know where you are now. Thank you for what you are doing for us right now. We want to honor you, worship you, and respect you and obey you as our king. Especially this season, we remember when you were born uh, as king and celebrated. And we celebrate that amazing coming to earth that you did for us because of your love, and we love you. Carry us through this next season of our lives with the things that are going on, and may we truly represent you in this world that needs to see your light and your love. In your name we pray, amen.